Hello everyone, my name is JT Wistersill and I'm excited to welcome you to another edition of the From the Stands podcast. Yes, we are back for the spring semester. Happy to be back with all of you and thank you for all of you who have consumed my content in the past and excited to be producing more podcasts with KU Radio for the rest of the spring semester. So what we're going to be talking about on today's show is the conference championships, the AFC and the NFC games. We're going to recap both of those and I'm going to get into my 10 takeaways from the early portion of the NBA season so far. But as I alluded to, let's start with the conference championship recaps. And let's start with the game of the day. That was the NFC championship game with the Buccaneers winning 31 to 26. Early on, I was really impressed by Tom Brady. That first drive, he has the three big completions, two to Evans, one to Godwin, marches him down the field. And he did that a few times in the first half. I thought Brady did a really good job distributing the balls. He always does spreading the well. Funny enough, the only guy who really didn't eat was the guy who's been with the longest throughout his career was Gronk, who had a very pedestrian day. But he's been more of a blocker this year in general. One of the biggest reasons Brady was able to have so much success was that Tampa offensive line led by Ryan Jensen, Donovan Smith, Tristan Wirfs. Those guys did a great job holding it down, even dealing with a backup at the right guard spot, but still did a really good job all day. The Packers only had one sack, and it was when Kenny Clark, the Packers' dominant nose tackle, drove through that backup guard. They left him one-on-one with him, and they realized, no, we can't do that again. So the rest of the game, they made sure to double, or the center made sure to help out whenever that guard was left ISO against any of the, the other guys. But either way, they for the day, only four pressures. And on those four pressures, Brady did not do a very good job. So they did a great job fending off that fearsome pack. Packers front seven, including guys like Zadarius Smith, Preston Smith, and the emergence of Rashawn Gary, their first round pick from a year ago, who's been really good this year. So I thought they did a really good job or a huge part of the success. I also give credit to Bruce Arians for sticking with the run. I thought that was huge as the game wore on. There were a number of times where they bit him with some play action, where they faked the run. You get those safeties biting in, it led to a few wide open touchdowns, first downs, all things of that nature. So it's just to show you why you stick with the run, even though I believe as a team they only had 76 yards. If there was a highlight in the running game, though, it came when Leonard Fournette's touchdown, his the second touchdown of the day after Brady's first one to Evans. That was an ins- um, unbelievable run. It's the best run he's had in honestly a few years, and it's why he looked like every bit the guy who was a top 10 picks a few years ago. Coming out of LSU. Ron Jones played through an injury, so props to him for just being out there. But that is a ferocious one-two backfield punch. That's probably not Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, but the next best thing, in my opinion. So that's what they did really well on the offensive side of the ball. And the first half, they had a really good... And Bruce Arians also, I can give him credit for being aggressive. When you look back at it, if you remember, you get the turnover on Aaron Rodgers. We're going to get to the PIs and all that in a second. But it's it's fourth down. Could easily punted, but there was only six. There was only six seconds left, or maybe it was ten. Some there was not a lot of time left on the clock either way. They go for it, get it easy to Leonard Fournette. They have zero timeouts left, and they and Brady takes a shot, hits Scotty Miller deep for the touchdown. A great, great call, being aggressive. They won the 50-50 plays. If there was a play to be had in this game or thing, a situation that was kind of up in the air, a lot of times Tampa made the play. A few plays earlier, before they even went for the fourth down, a Packers say the Packers safety or I, I think it was either either way, DB, drops a wide-open pick. Yes, he could have. He had to slow up a little bit because he would hit him, but either way, hits him right in the hands, easily could have gotten two feet down. He just got timid and scared, and because of that, that leads to the touchdown. And we're going to get to that cover, awful coverage, as I said in a second. But also got a hit on this for the Buccaneers' perspective. Todd Bowles, once again, coming up with a masterful game plan on that side of the ball, and the key to his success this game was the defensive line. Vita Vea being back was huge in helping them stop the run. 
Also, when Dominican Sue made some big plays, namely tipping that ball so that Alan Lazard couldn't catch it for the two-point conversion for Green Bay. Also, or it could have been a touchdown. I'm trying to remember now. But either way, Alan was tipping that ball for Alan Lazard. And, of course, J- JPP and Shaq Barrett. I mean, those guys combined for five sacks on the game. They are giving Packers tackles troubles all day. They really missed Bakatari this game. The Packers did their standout left tackle, who's down for the season with an injury. And I thought JPP, JPP is such a good player. I honestly think if he doesn't have the firework incident where his fingers and a couple, I think he had a, he was in a car accident last year too that even like derailed some of it. He could be a Hall of Fame player because when you look at it, he could have over 100 sacks pretty easily. He's probably going to get there soon, but he would have regardless of those injuries. So it's amazing the career he's had from producing back in the Giants' last Super Bowl win to helping Tampa get there with his masterful performance. It's just great. And we know what Shaq Barrett can do as well. And he made a number of nice plays on Billy Turner, who had had a good year coming over from the Lions. Their old right tackle started with Packers for right tackle. He'd done such a good job on for most of the year. And in this game, he just had a lot of a lot of trouble. Another guy's worth shouting out is Jordan Whitehead, the safety. He forced two fumbles, one of which the Packers jumped jumped on top of, but the other one was the was the Buccaneers, I believe their only touchdown of the second half was off the turnover when he when Rodgers had to check it down to Aaron Jones out in the flat. And what ended up happening was it pops out, they get it, and then break touchdown very next play. So some big plays made by Jordan Whitehead, who had to step up in the absence of Antoine Winfield Jr. Also in this game, I think the corners did a pretty good job overall, frustrating Devontae Adams. We saw him have the drop later, and there were a number of plays where I thought they did a pretty good job on it. That bunch of Carlton Davis, Sean Murphy bunting. Bunting, yes, he held on that P.I. a little bit, but still made the play. And those guys back there, I think they just did a really good job, and it all starts with Todd Bowles. Oh, and i got to mention those linebackers, too. Devin White, 15 tackles, and Levante David always makes his presence felt. So overall, I believe this was the better team. Yes, the game was in Green Bay, but it's no doubt which defense was better. I think this game, the offensive line was better, especially without Bakatari. The weapons are better. The biggest thing was the quarterbacks. And yes, Rodgers did play better than Brady. In fact, it's kind of a perfect encompass of their career. In the playoffs, three times, Tom, all, three times in his career, Tom Brady's thrown three interceptions in three playoff games. He's 3-0 and in those games because it's a team game still. Yes, quarterback is, most, is the most important position on the field, but his teammates stepped up, helped him out when Brady didn't make the necessary plays. Rodgers, on the other hand, when he throws zero or just one interception, his team is 0-3 in those situations. So it just kind of goes to show you how the it, it's still a team game is what I'm getting at here. It is still very much a team game and a difficult thing to overcome like that. So... Let's get into those Packers. I thought Rodgers was really good. His only interception, yes, it was pass interference. I get why they let it go because they were really trying to let the guys play. And that one was much more hidden. You could see he had the jersey, but he was right on top of him. So it wasn't like an obvious tag or pull of the jersey like we're going to see later. He definitely had onto it, and it was a flag, and I believe should have been called. But it was not as egregious as some of the other ones we're going to get into later. And also... For people who are mad about the lack of flags in some regard, I will say this. Think about what a great game that was. How often we get bugged by the officials bogging it down. Yes, I would have loved to see a few more calls, but not too many. I really like when the refs go out there and don't don't blow their whistles as much. Don't interfere. Let those guys go out there and play. And I thought they did a really good job of that overall so they were that's and it could be a totally different game there if that's called a pass interference because that more than likely green bay goes down and scores and there's a lot and then if we're moving on to what happened after the interception you get the stupidest call of the year by mike Penton, who went to the greg williams school of 
late end of game halftime defenses when he just decides to go man to man when he should have just gone a deep zone. I mean, you just cannot give up a touchdown in that situation. And Kevin King obviously had a horrible day. He had a horrible first half. Evans first touchdown. That was against him. Leonard Fournette landed on top of him to score his his insane touchdown run. And at the end of the half, he gets burned by Scotty Miller, who is either this team's fourth or fifth wide receiver at this point, depending on where you rank Antonio Brown and Tyler Johnson. So just a rough half for Kevin King. I do not expect Kevin King to be back for this football team. Last year, he had a good season. This year, not so much. Very disappointed by his play overall. I also don't expect Mike Pettin to be back, if I'm being honest. I don't think he did a good enough job overall. And I think when you just have a disappointing loss like this, there's a lot of finger pointing and someone usually gets the short end of the stick. And I think that's going to be Pettin, honestly. There is some talent on this defense. They just need to, they really need to grab another corner, I think. Because Jair Alexander, let's get into his play this postseason. I mean, he's unbelievable. I think Jalen Ramsey is the best corner in the NFL right now. But I think number two is Jair Alexander. He was completely shut down. There's so many times throughout the broadcast you forget he's playing out there because of the amount of times they just don't target him. He literally doesn't get targeted because his coverage is so sticky. He doesn't shadow a guy, so a guy like Evans or Godwin, they'll have their moments to go off because Jair is guarding someone else. But Jair still able was to make some big-time plays in this game because he had two big interceptions, which I thought were really key to get the Packers back into this game. Unfortunately, because of those, mostly those protection issues, Rodgers having issues, and Rodgers made a number of plays where he stepped up into the pocket and fired a missile in there, just made a lot of really nice throws and really nice plays. But especially late, we saw the pressure break down, and that ended up leading to lots of puns, and it just did not work out in their favor very well at all from an offensive line standpoint. It's one of the biggest reasons they lost the game. So, Let's get into the late what happens on that final Green Bay drive. So they drive down there. They're unable to get it. It's third and nine, and Rodgers takes a snap. He steps up into the pocket. He's got a lot of room to run, and I personally don't think he could have scored. A lot of people have come out and say they think he could have scored. I think what would happen was he goes there and he gets tackled at the two at the three or two yard line, basically. But then I think LaFleur goes for it on fourth down. So I do. you got to fault Rodgers some for not tucking it and running it. I get why he tried to hold on to it and search for those guys. He's not the he's made some nice plays with his legs, but nowhere near the athlete he used to be in some of his younger days. So I get trying to wait for it and find and see if a guy could get open because he did have a lot of time to search for it. But yes, he made the mistake there. LaFleur has to go for it in that situation. You got to go down being aggressive, go down fighting, go down swinging. I've always believed in that. I think that's the most important thing. You don't want to let the game be decided by the opposition and that's basically what they did because they gave the ball back to Brandon the Buccaneers. And I know he said, oh, my defense was playing well. I didn't want to take the ball out of their hands. Well, honestly, your defense wasn't playing that well. It was Tom Brady who made some really dumb mistakes. I believe he threw three interceptions on seven passes. That's got to be the first time in Brady's career he's ever done that. And most of them were really dumb plays by Brady himself or just inaccurate throws. Like I said, I was marveled by Brady in the first half. I did not think he played very well in the second half. Especially late, you talk about... He's got an opportunity to ice the game by getting a first down, and he airmails one to Chris Godwin. It's just little plays like that. I mean, it was a Mitch Trubisky type of missed throw he had that would have sealed the game. They obviously ended up winning, and it worked out well for them. But just to highlight just Brady, I just didn't think he was great in the second half. And it'll be interesting to see how he does in the Super Bowl against an overall cornerback group in Kansas City, who I think right now that unit is better than Green Bay's. Green Bay is just Jair Alexander right now. Like I said, those other guys really struggle. But either way, I if I was Rodgers, I'd be mad at LaFleur too. I think LaFleur is question, probably mad at himself as well. You got to go down swinging, go down saying, 
I you don't want to say I gave them a chance to win. You want to say I gave them my best punch and I couldn't deliver. And that's not what they did. So that's really unfortunate. And you give a, for the Packers, obviously. I'm I'm happy to see the Buccaneers back, and I would have been happy with no matter the outcome. But it's just phenomenal what Tom Brady continues to do. As a highlight, I didn't think he's the better quarterback in this game. But either way, for him to be in his, I believe it's now he has a better chance to make the Super Bowl, 48% chance to make the Super Bowl, which is better than Steph Curry has a chance of making a 30, which is just absolutely insane. Speaks to Brady's greatness, his leadership skills out there still, his toughness. He's still he's still really accurate when given the time. You pressure him, he can fall apart. But when given the time, still deadly accurate. So give a lot of credit to the him, Bruce Arians. They made the aggressive move. This could go down as one of the best free agent signings in NFL history if they're able to win a Super Bowl. So all the credit in the world to Brady. It's just amazing what he does. It is goat stuff. And let's talk about the other quarterback, Aaron Rodgers. Is he going to be a Packer next year? There's been a lot of talk about that. They kind of burned him. And I can understand his frustration. You're watching that game and you go, Man, what if our first-round pick was Chase Claypool instead of Jordan Love, who wasn't even dressed? What if our second-round pick was Cameron Dantzler? That's the Vikings corner who was drafted in the third round, who ended up being PFF's highest-graded corner in the regular season. What if you—I'm sure he wasn't thinking those exact two names, but just something to think about. When I was doing draft grades and stuff, I gave Green Bay the worst grade because they didn't get better right now. Their Super Bowl window was now. And yes, this team was good enough to get there. But if they had a few difference makers and a few extra spots, Keeley wide receiver where Alexander Le, where Lazard and Valdez Scantling only made one or two plays in the game. And then you talk about the defensive side with another corner or another guy to stop the run because of how badly they got bludgeoned by the 49ers rushing game a year ago. I think those are all big things. And I understand why Rodgers would be frustrated, the play calling. I think him and LaFleur's relationship is now good, but there was a while it did not seem good at all. So I wouldn't have been mad at all if he just said, you know what, sticking it to LaFleur, I'm going to end up leaving. We thought it wouldn't work out, but at the moment it is working out pretty well. And I'm going to get into why I think he stays for at least another year now. Number one, um, that's the offensive line. Those do not grow on trees. If David Bakhtiari plays in this game, it's a very different game. They honestly probably win the game. That's how important. I think Bakhtiari is the left, best left tackle in the NFL. A lot of people can say offensive line doesn't matter that much, but with the amount of pressure they were able to generate, what if it was only coming from one side and Rodgers was able to roll out to the left and we know how deadly he is when he escapes the pocket and can make some plays. We saw him do it a number of times in this game as well. Also, Devontae Adams. I mean, how good is his connection with Devontae Adams right now? He's a true top five receiver in the NFL, and those guys don't grow on trees. So when you talk about the top five receiver, the offensive line, and still really good play calling from Matt LaFleur, who's done a really good job as offensive coordinator this year, is the reason this was the most efficient and I believe highest scoring offense in the NFL. It was either them or Kansas City, but they were right at the top either way. That's why I think he comes back for at least another year, the relationships he has with those guys. Bakatari and Adams are also some of his best friends, so I think that'll play into it. And the concerns on the defense, honestly, I think, like I said, I think they're going to fire Pettin and they'll address it in the draft and they should be, they could be right back here again, once again next year. Rogers had a great season. He's probably going to win the MVP and I expect him to be back in Green Bay next year. So props to the Buccaneers. They had a great game. It'll be fun to watch them in the Super Bowl. Now, I know I went on really long about that game, but there were so many fun and exciting narratives to talk about. But let's move into the Chiefs dominating the Bills 38 to 24. The Bills' defense didn't stand a chance against Patrick Mahomes, who lit them up for 325 yards, three touchdowns. Tyreek Hill had 172 yards, and Travis Kelsey had 118 yards and two touchdowns. The Chiefs' offense, when they get clicking, they're just unstoppable. When you talk about Tyreek Hill in space, I think he's the hardest guy to tackle in space. Yes, he's not going to go over you or through you, but no matter where, you think you can have him cut him off on the sideline, he could still squeeze it out and obviously can turn it back inside and make just about anyone 
miss. If you want to see if I'm right or not, just watch that slant pass that he took that he took 70 yards. It's just insane. His speed is unmatched. Also, the way they use him, the Chiefs use motion and misdirection stuff better than any team I've ever seen in NFL history, and that's a credit to Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy. Bieniemy, who should obviously be a head coach in the NFL by now. But Reed does such a good job. The way he moves Tyree Kill around, it looks like a child who's just drawing on a blank canvas and just going willy-nilly because you see him just flying all over the place with no agenda. It looks like, but there's always some hidden thing. And because of his deadly speed, the defense always has to be aware of where he is. And sometimes he's running in circles. He runs from left to right to around Mahomes. It's just crazy the amount of things they ask Tyreek to do. And obviously, it works out very well in their favor. Also, when teams go zone, again, we try to play a zone defense because there's too hard to cover man-to-man. You can't cover Tyreek man-to-man, so a lot of teams like to play zone. And a guy like Nicole Hartman can get behind you and burn you as well. So a lot of teams end up in zone coverage. Well, the issue with that is that Travis Kelsey is one of it might be the best tight end against zone coverage I've ever seen. He always finds and settles in the soft spots. He's got great hands. He breaks those tackles. And the connection him and Mahomes has when plays break down is just marvelous. He never gives up on a play. He's always moving, trying to get open. And Mahomes, when things don't go right, he usually looks for him first before anyone else. Kelsey is well on his way to having the greatest tight end season we've ever seen. He had the greatest regular season. And if he was to keep it up and help them win the Super Bowl, maybe he even has a good enough performance to win MVP. It's the greatest single season tight end season we've ever seen it's just how marvelous he is and let's get to the guy distributing him the ball Patrick Mahomes of course was unbelievable toe injury concussion what didn't even look like it out there he was absolutely balling shredding that Bills defense and you knew the Bills defense was going to be in some trouble they struggled a lot this year with heavy pass teams they lost to the Chiefs earlier this year yes the Chiefs ran the ball better on them but this game when everyone was healthy they just knew hey we can just we can really get it clicking on the outside. And that's exactly what happened. I also loved seeing Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes picking up Miko Hartman after his bad muffed punt. And then to see him go back to him later and reward him. He took the 50, he took the end around 50 yards and then scores a few plays later off the little wide receiver screen. So good to see those guys' leadership stepping up, helping empowering him and helping to lead him and make sure he can get across and get through that game. So I thought they did a great job. Shows their leadership, their experience. It's also kind of funny. The Bills went up 9-0 and not a single person was like, huh, well, that's going to be difficult to overcome because this is Chiefs offense. We've seen them do it. A race leads in a blink of an eye and they did it once again. They are marvelous and so impressed by what they continue to do. For the Bills, I know they have Tredavious White, but he was. it's so hard to cover Tyreek Hill man-to-man. And honestly, they're such a heavy zone team. We knew they'd have issues covering him. They don't do a great, there's not, they're not really elite anywhere. Their best guy is by far Tredavious White. As much as I love the underrated safeties, Jordan, Jordan Pryor, and, oh, I'm messing up the other guy. Of course, I'm messing him up because he's so underrated. I always forget his name. But those guys, they're really underrated, but they're, I don't think they're as good as they used to be. The linebackers are solid with Edmonds, but not spectacular. And same thing with the front seven. It's a lot of nice players, but no one you're like, oh, we got a game plan for him. He's a real difference maker. And I think that really showed out there. And that was an issue and why they struggled to cover him. But, of course, coming into this game, we didn't think the Bills' defense would be able to hang with the Chiefs. We did think the Bills' offense might be able to. But Steve Spagnola and that Chiefs' defense did a great job of making Josh Allen uncomfortable. And Josh Allen did not have a good day. He made a lot of really dumb decisions with the ball. I did not think he was very smart with it. He had the intentional grounding. He takes some awful sacks. He missed a lot of open guys. They did a good job keeping him in the pocket for a large part of the day. Yes, he was effective running with his legs, but we knew he would have to get it done with his arm. And he wasn't able to do that always. So not a great performance by Josh Allen and disappointing to see him 
not play better in this big moment. But I'll also give credit to the Chiefs and their DBs because their coverage was sticky. John Brown, Cordery Davis, Isaiah McKenzie, Cole Beasley. Yes, Cole Beasley was playing with injuries, but still. Cole Beasley and Diggs, yes, they made a few plays, but just how many times were those guys covered and not open? It just gives you credit to Brashad Breland, Fuller, those corners out there. There's one guy I'm forgetting. He's a real rookie for them this year that's really come on strong. It just gives shows so much credit to them for the job they've done. I've, I was really impressed by their ability to lock those guys up on the outside. And then once they do that, Frank Clark, Chris Jones, that defensive line, they get after it. We know the Bills couldn't run the ball, so that wouldn't be an issue. So because of that stingy coverage and what that pass rush is, Josh Allen struggled. They were clearly outmatched in this game, and it's what led to the 38-24 dominating win. So credit to the Chiefs, and the Bills are just a few pieces away. Another one probably being a healthy Cole Beasley, and it's probably time to move off of John Brown and get a true number two or three receiver. And it'll be interesting to see where the Bills are, see if Stephon Diggs staying after to watch their parade leads to the motivation we all kind of uh, assumed it would. And lastly for the NFL, I wanted to get into this. Matt Stafford is parting ways with the Lions. They're going to find a trade partner for him and move off him. Stafford has obviously been a fantastic quarterback in the NFL for the past decade. I usually argue he's a top 10 quarterback. I think he's tough. He's got a great arm. He's really accurate. Yes, he might make a mistake or two a game, but that's why I didn't say top five quarterback. I said a top 10 quarterback. I think he's still really good, and I'd love to see him play on a better franchise. I think most of us have seen the video by now, his toughness when he gets blasted and gets back up. It looks like his shoulder's falling off, and he still gets up and throws the game-winning touchdown. He's top three in comeback drives since entering the NFL with the guys of the Tom Brady's, the Drew Brees up there. So credit to him. It's just another impressive feat of Stafford, and I really like him. So where's he going to end up? There's a few teams he could go to. I've heard the Steelers and the Broncos, but I'll give you my three favorites. First, I got the 49ers. We still don't know what the 49ers are going to do. It's still, I don't know. If I had to bet money, I still might bet Jimmy GB and their starting quarterback. It just feels like they're going to end up sticking him. Now, if I was there, I would not, obviously, but I don't know. Or maybe Matt Ryan becomes available. I don't think that's going to happen with Arthur Smith. And then they decide, ah, oh, you know what? We're going to move off him. I could see that very well happening as well. So 49ers, obviously, the play calling is great. Strong running game. George Kittle and athletic receivers on the outside and a good defense. Probably his best team to go compete for a Super Bowl, but I don't know if they're going to, if they're in the quarterback market. We still don't know that. But these next two teams definitely are. First is the Colts. Phillip Rivers just retired. Hmm, why are they attractive? Really strong run game led by Quentin Nelson and Jonathan Taylor. You'd love to see that. And Frank Wright is a great play caller. And that defense was nasty this year, led by Darius and DeForest. So I think that one's an obvious fit with how good of a play caller he is. But they're still not the most likely to me. The most likely to me is the Washington football team. And why is that? Because their pick is higher than the Colts. It's as simple as that. I think if you want to get Stafford, you have to trade a first-round pick. He's only 32 years old and easily has six to eight really good years of NFL football left to me. Could play even longer with how talented he is. So I think that his value is going to be worth a lot. And I think the Washington football team with, the, I believe, the 19th overall pick is in the best position to go, hey, here's our first-round pick and bring them on in. And I would I would do that if I was them because they've struggled finding quarterbacks for so long. They were never in on Kirk Cousins. RG3 had the injury and couldn't become the same. Alex Smith was never a long-term action. And Dwayne Haskins was obviously a massive bust for this team. So that's why I think they should trade their first-round pick. Watson Stafford should want to come here because of this offensive line is still pretty good. The Terry McLaurin is still a nice receiver. Get him another receiver in the second round. And this defense is another defense that was really good, led by Chase Young. Landon Collins will be coming back. Kyle Fuller had an unbelievable year. 
these are all really good guys. And I think a big part of why Stafford will be like, yeah, I can go to Washington. And he's still, it, it's not like he can veto the trade. He maybe he could, if he really wanted to, but I still think it'd be difficult because of the good position that he's not in a great position to negotiate. He's a trade asset right now. He's not a free agent and can pick where he goes. So that's where I think it'll lead. So that's going to do it for the NFL talk next week. I'll be back to break down the Super Bowl. But I want to shift into the NBA season. It's been about a month into it now, and it's been fun to watch all the evolving storylines and narratives. And I'm going to give you the 10 things that have stood out to me so far in this NBA season. So number 10, the Lakers look even better. We thought the bench would be deeper. It is. Led by Montrez Harrell, who's once again having a six-man-a-year type campaign. Kyle Kuzma, Caruso, Wesley Matthews. Those guys are dogs on defense. They get after it. And they're guys like Wesley Matthews. We saw him get hot a few weeks ago. And Kuzma is also capable of having a 20-point night here and there. So I'm impressed by them. Gasol's pop passing as a center is just oh, and his ability to space the floor unlocks a whole new dimension to this offense that Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee were just incapable of doing. So I've been very impressed by him. Adding Dennis Schroeder. Yes, there are some games he's not very efficient, but he still brings the energy on defense and quickness, and he's another guy who can score the ball. Also, I've been really impressed by how good LeBron looks. How about last night? I'm recording this on Tuesday the 26th. That's night after we dropped 46 on the Cavs. Great to see him getting back at it, getting to work. He looks so good. I thought he'd take a lot of time off load management. Not the case at all. And Anthony Davis maybe in an offensive slump. I know he just broke out against the Bulls a little bit ago, but not a good night last night. But he's still a defensive player of the year type of player every time he takes the floor. So number nine, we got the Jazz and the Clippers both look great. The Jazz are third in the West right now. They're 12-4. and four. They're riding an eight-game winning streak longest in the NBA. The keys to that, I would say, number one is Donovan Mitchell has continued maturation, averaging 24 points per game. He's been more efficient this year, gets after it. I think we've since the bubble where he really broke out and started to look like a superstar. Yes, he's been a really good player for a while, but he looked like an absolute stud and a future top five player in the league when you're putting up those full 50-point nights like he was. And Mike Conley has also been a revelation for this team. He's, I think he leads the NBA in plus minus, which is an unbelievable stat considering where he was last season. With Derek Favors coming off the bench, you know there's not a huge drop defensively, so him and Gobert do a good job of holding it down. And as Bogdanovich continues to find his fit, they'll continue to evolve and get better. Also, how good has Jordan Clarkson been off the bench? Sixth man of the year? I think so. But I also said the Jazz and the Clippers look great. The Clippers' new additions, Luke Kennard and Serge Ibaka. I forgot his name for a second, but Serge Ibaka has been awesome for this team. I think that's been paid big dividends. They've looked good. And Kawhi and PG continue to do their thing in the regular season. I know when it comes to playoff times when we'll evaluate PG, but right now Kawhi and PG are doing their thing. They're getting these, these teams the wins they need, and they look really good right now because of it. Number eight, I have the Cavaliers in their bright future. Colin Sexton is averaging 24 points per game in only his third year in the league. He's been really impressive, and a lot. he was a ninth pick overall. A lot of people were quick to write him off, and I've been so impressed by him. His 42-point performance and win over the Nets is one of the best I've seen this year, especially the second overtime where he could not miss anything. So a lot of credit to Sexton and what he's done. And also Darius Garland. I think he's looked really well as a scorer. Isaac Okoru has provided the defense they want. They absolutely fleece the Nets in that 14 trade for Jared Allen. Love getting him. And Andre Drummond's been really good too. So I really like the future of this Cavs team. I think they're going to trade Drummond soon for something else. But as a team that a lot of people looked at as one of the worst franchise in the worst position of many teams right now, I think you got to give them a lot of credit for how good they've been to start the year. Number seven, the arrival of Jalen Brown and Devonta Sabonis and Malcolm Brogdon also. I got to throw in here too because of what Brogdon did last night. 
having that unbelievable scoring night. I believe he went for 34 or could have been 44. I should have written it down. Either way, Jalen Brown this season, averaging 27 points per game, has been leading the Celtics to a 10-6 and record. In the regular season right now, he's been their best player. We know what he does on the defensive end. He's also become a better distributor, but his main thing is still he's become so much an efficient shooter, drives to the basket well and attacks well. That's what's been most impressive about him to me. Sabonis also and Brogdon, they're both averaging over 24 points per game. I was quick to write off the Pacers going into the year. I didn't see it. They got swept in the playoffs. So I'm like, oh, they won't be as good. I forgot that Sabonis didn't was didn't play in the bubble. That was a huge reason this team got swept. And it's shown early with how dominant Sabonis has been, averaging those 20 points. His footwork in the post is insane. And Brogdon's just continued to evolve as a scoring guard, which has just been so impressive to watch. So really enjoying watching these three guys and their development. At number six, I got the Grizzlies surviving without Morant and Jaron Jackson. They were having a solid start to the year, and then John Morant goes down. Well, in those eight games without him, they were five and three. And then they won two after when he came back and had that great performance against the Suns with the big finger roll and the charge he drew on Chris Paul on consecutive plays. They just do such a good job drafting guys, developing them. Their culture is insane. Brandon Clark has been awesome for them. Grayson Allen, DeAnthony Melton, signing Tyus Jones from the Timberwolves was a home run. Desmond Bain already looks like a really good NBA player, like a lot of people thought he would contribute to winning instantly. So, so impressed by the Grizzlies and what they continue to do, building a nice culture and their ability to win games without their two best players, which they've had to do this year. And we don't even know when Jaron Jackson's going to be back on the floor, so that's big. At number five, the 76ers are finally looking like the team we thought they could be years ago. Yes, I know they made the conference semifinals when they had Jimmy Butler, but last year was such a disappointment. They did a great job of firing Brett Brown. I'm sorry. I just don't think he was a very good head coach. They'd given him way too many chances and Embiid looks great. I mean, he's the MVP right now to me, him and another guy we're going to get to have been special and beats averaging 27 and 11. We've seen him come out and put up some big 40 point performances and his offensive game is just so deep with his ability to score in the paint. He, and he shot it decently well from the outside this year, especially from mid range. I've been surprised. Tobias Harris, he had his best years when Doc Rivers was his coach when he was in the Clippers, having his off to his best start of a season yet. He's been really fun to watch. Ben Simmons, yes, I know he doesn't score enough still, but he does everything else well. Passes, rebounds, and is one of the five best defenders in the NBA. So Doc is definitely one of the early coach of the year for me for the really good job he has done. Next up, we have the Knicks, and the, they have been the biggest surprise of the year to me so far. But it shouldn't have been because this is what Tom Thibodeau does. He goes to these teams early, he contributes to them, and he develops the guys. He does a great job at developing his guys, and we've seen that development early already in the way that guys like Emmanuel Quigley has been a huge surprise. R.J. Barrett has been awesome this year, and of course, Julius Randle, who's at 22-11. and 11. The Knicks are in the eighth seed a month into the season. I don't think anyone expected that to be the case, but Tibbs has his team playing great defense, and they're 8-10 and 10 right now. So all the credit in the world to Tom and this team for buying in, working hard. And I'm really excited to see what guys like RJ and Quigley become with how early they look so far. I think Quigley's in his first year in the NBA and RJ we know is in his second. So it's just been fun to watch them. They've been the biggest surprise. Biggest disappointment for me has been the Wizards. They only have three wins. That's the least amount of wins in the NBA at the moment when I'm recording this on the 26th of January. And the biggest reason for that is Bradley Beal's been balling. They don't play great defense, and some of their guys haven't. Davis Bertans has been a little off to start the year, so Thomas Bryant now towards ACL, so that was a loss for them. So they've struggled defensively, but the biggest is Russell Westbrook. He's at 18 points per game, the lowest since his second year in the league. He's at 37% from the field, 
37% is like, oh, it's a modest three-point percentage, not a not field goal percentage. And he's taken way too many threes at 4.5 a game on only 30% shooting. So Westbrook has not been efficient for this team. He's been turning the ball over, and he's really cost this team some games. And it'll be interesting to see if he can ever get back to that OKC form. At number two, I have KD and Curry being back in the NBA. It's so great to see those guys back and healthy. Let's start with Curry first, who's at 27.9, 27.9 points per game, 6.2 assists, and has the dubs at 9 and 8. He does not have a lot of help. It's Draymond out there. Wiggins has been better. Oubre's been better as of late, and Wiseman's development has been nice, but a lot is on Curry's shoulders, and I really think he's delivered to start the year and continues to look like the best shooter we've ever seen. And I'm really excited to see how his game continues to evolve this season as he's the pretty much their only reliable, consistent scorer on this team for the first time in his career. There's no there's no Clay who can also help carry the scoring load. So it'll be interesting to see. And at number two, I got Katie. This is the other guy, him and Embiid vying for MVP. Katie, 31 points per game, seven rebounds, 5.8 assists, 53% field goal, 47% from three. He's looked unbelievable. Coming off the torn ACL that he had, he has just been phenomenal. So much fun to watch. Is off. We know he can attack it. He can shoot and rise up over anyone. And when he buys in defensively, he's one of the better defenders in the league. So impressed by Kevin Durant. And that takes us to number one. Everything going on in Brooklyn. From Kyrie Irving refusing to speak to the media, to spreading the herbal whatever it was earlier in the season, to taking his leave of absence that we're still kind of confused of why. Everything there. The huge James Harden trade. Obviously, that was a very ugly situation in Houston. But getting him over, forming an unbelievable big three. This team has not been good defensively. DeAndre Jordan is not the player he used to be. He moves a lot slower. And their lack of depth is jarring at the moment with guys like Jeff Green playing an essential role to them. If Jeff Green was to get hurt, I don't know what this team would do because he plays a large amount of minutes for them. So they need to be big players on the buyout market. But with all that said, they're 11-8 and eight right now. When they play KD, Kyrie, they've been phenomenal. Harden has sacrificed so much already, and we know he's capable of going off and having those big scoring bursts like he did the other night. So it'll be really interesting to see what happens with Brooklyn this year. But that's my 10 takeaways from the earlier season. And that's going to do it for my first spring edition of the From the Stands podcast. So thank you guys so much for listening. And I'll be back next week to preview the Super Bowl and talk about some of the other bigger stories going on in the league right now. Signing off.